Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right, Z, back again. Another episode of Conversations. Man, we've been talking today. We're kind of in this religious, spiritual mood. We've been talking about the gospel of the self. We've been talking about heaven, what it means to find heaven. And you observe that in a lot of cultures, there's a notion that rich people can't find heaven, poor people can find heaven. And we got into that a little bit. And it's not really a rich versus poor thing per se. It's not that there's anything inherently wrong with making money or inherently wrong with being rich. It's more this mentality that we've been exploring and how oftentimes what you find with people who chase material wealth is that they're always chasing. They're chasing some form of satisfaction. They're chasing accumulation. They're chasing validation. So there's never any limit. And if you think about heaven almost as a destination, a place that you go where you can find peace and contentment, and you reach that place and you can exhale and you can say, ah, ah, things are okay now. I'm okay now. I can relax. I can rest. That's heaven. What else would we want, either on this earth or in the beyond? Just some clarity of mind, some peace, some connection new to whatever it is that's that's greater than ourself, greater than the ego. But when we're always in this mode of chasing the next thing, we never get to that point. You said something which I found very interesting. How would you even know you were at that point? How would you even know if you got to that place, if you're always chasing what's next? If you're always chasing what's next, there's never that limit. There's never that test to say, okay, things are fine. I'm in a good spot. I can be grateful. I can appreciate what I have. As we've talked about in the last six months, really, there are a lot of people that you've lost. And when you look at them, some of them have been of the mindset that more is never enough. And whether it's that search for money or relevance, it leads to a constant discontent. They live in a discontent, in a discontent state. They die <clears throat> in some kind of pain. Uh, they die without people that they care about around them. And you contrast that with someone like your coach, uh, Willie White, your coach, your mentor, who was just okay, who just brought a certain zeal for life, who had a positive attitude, who would go from a problem and solving that problem to just feeling good. You can put that problem behind you, and suddenly everything is fine. Suddenly the clouds part, the sunlight comes out, the sky opens up, everything is radiant and beautiful. So as we're talking today, maybe we can settle on the name of the topic and think about heaven. What is heaven? What does it mean to be able to find it? I've offered some of my thoughts. Why don't you run with it, C? Give us some thoughts on what you mean by finding heaven. I think about the rich man's chance of going to heaven is pretty much the same chance of a camel going through the eye of a needle. No chance at hell. And I thought about that. I started meditating on that. And I think about 
the concept of rich and poor. And I looked at the people that I know in my life, in my life experiences. Think about what a friend said to me. He says, man, you're the richest poor man I know. And I said, what do you mean? He says, I know that your finances aren't so great, but you have everything you want. You don't want for much or anything. The comfort of your family and friends. You have interests and drive that lifts you up. You 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 walk like you're on you're on a cloud. I said, Wow, that's an interesting perspective. You know, I, I can get grumpy and all that. And I thought about it. I don't really long for a lot of things. My wife last weekend took the kids over to the in laws. And she said, hey, I'm going to take off with the kids for a couple of days to the in-law's house. And you get to be alone. You get to just hang out, do whatever you want to do. And I got mad at her. I said, what do you mean? What I want to do is be with my family at the end of the day. I don't want the chaos and confusion and endless seemingly running about with no real plan or direction. I don't like that. But I do like ending my day with my family, with my friends. So it's not that I want to be away from my family. I just want harmony. Harmony is heaven to me. Whether we go anywhere or stay, whether we jump on a plane or take a road trip or hang around the house, that's heaven. I was sitting with a friend in the garage talking about life. And as he drove away, he said, man, thanks. I needed this. It felt like I was on vacation. Didn't go anywhere, but we were in peace. I thought about the people that are gone now, who have gone on to eternity, have went to the first level of eternity, leaving here. And as often, there are some sad stories and wonderful. You mentioned my, my coach, the great Willie White. I talked to his wife the other day. And she was saying, well, I miss him so much, but I'm so happy to have had him. It was like I was in heaven. I was loved so much, I was in heaven. And now that he's not here, I still feel that around me. I just can't share it with him from my heart to his arms. But I still feel it. I know what heaven is like to be loved. I think about one of my clients and students, Malcolm. Think about my friend, uh, Shakji, Greg, how they died alone in hotel rooms, suffocating, flush with money in the bank, with no friends or no one that cared around them. They were constantly pursuing but never found heaven. They never made it to heaven. In this life, they never made it to heaven. They couldn't be. They couldn't be with a family and say, you know, I'm, I'm glad. We're going to sit with the family. We're going to watch the kids go to sleep. Just hang out. Call it a day. And not be in need of anything. So they were rich, but they didn't make it to heaven. 
They were the camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. I have another student that came down who found his fortune in, in the internet. Anthony came down the other last week and hung out with us and he just looked great. He looked happy, grounded, full. He talked about the wonderful woman in his life, the various projects he's working on on a farm. So he found heaven. He made money, but the money didn't define him one way or another. It wasn't the thing that brought him peace. He found peace and love. He found love. And everything he does is under that. Everything under heaven is heaven. So he found peace. Though he worked really hard, he went through hell. Then he found peace. So it has nothing to do with how much money you have. But oftentimes the pursuit of materialism will like a sandstorm or Scirocco blinds the eyes. It will blind your eyes from what's really heavenly. Being with nature, being with the divine. When you got on tonight, I heard your little girls laughing and happy, sharing their accomplishments in their karate class. And you get to witness them in heaven. They fall asleep near you, longing for nothing because they have it all. That's the heaven of the poor man. And what is meant, I believe, by the poor man or the poor person is that they're unencumbered by the weight of materialism or the endless pursuit. Yeah, we could use the money but we know what we can use it for. It is the firewood that keeps us warm on a cold day. The money is the water that quenches our thirst. The money is the patch in the roof. The money is the weight of the debt collector off our shoulder. That's all it is. But it is in heaven. So when we have enough of it, it's only temporary if we don't know we have enough of it. We find heaven when we can look around and say, yeah, I don't need much. I don't need much. And actually I have everything I need. And the only thing that disturbs that moment is when you Worry about what you when you won't have it, when it won't be enough. And for the unwise, the fall from grace to the fall from heaven is when you're a thousand steps ahead of yourself, not experiencing what's right in front of you and right what's right nearby. You don't you don't see the good in your life. You only see what you might miss out on. There was commentary made recently about these trillionaires who are flying into space. I love science. I love exploration. 
I'm a Trekkie for all those who know me. I love the concepts and ideas of Gene Roddenberry about the future. And a scientist commented on, he says, what a waste of energy and resources for these spoiled children to waste infinite resources for a joyride, not to advance humanity, not to educate the, the, the numbers of people that need it, not to allow their wealth to circulate so everyone around you could be rich. Be like the biblical purple merchant in the Bible, the woman who painted all the clothes, beautiful indigo colors so that rich and poor couldn't be distinguished. Why couldn't they be like Lydia, the purple merchant, who made rich and poor indistinguishable? And I don't say that just from the Pollyanna views of a poor man. In my life, some of the greatest joy I receive, the quiet peace I have when I'm with myself and by myself, is when I look at the people I work with and they've done well. I was watching my student Pretty Tony teach class I watched him over the years he's been with me and, and grow into a, a wonderful teacher. That's heaven. I look at our friends here, Caitlin, all the crew, coming into their own confidence. Just really turning into beautiful people right in front of my eyes. I get to witness God's folly. I get to witness divinity. That's heaven to me. I hear you growing as a spoken word artist. I step away, I step back like a father watching their child take the training wheels off their bike for the first time. And just riding off out of eyesight. It's an unbelievable feeling. It's an unbelievable feeling. That's heaven. Many people will never experience that. For the glaring sandstorm of materialism has blinded their eyes, has dulled their senses, that it's never enough. It's never enough. The veil is being pulled off all of these influencers. They're finding out they're not as rich as they pretend to be. They're not as happy as they tend to be. More and more of them are committing suicides or meeting untimely deaths in the pursuit of the low acknowledgement of the faceless minion, the faceless committee. They're in a living hell for fear that they will be exposed in the veil, the phoniness that they've created will be revealed. And they're just not that interesting because that's what they want more than anything. Something they will never get because they've never done anything that is worthy of acknowledgement. So they are in a living hell, the eternal fires of hell, in an endless 
pursuit for safety, being hunted down by their own ego. What a hell they live in. And what a heaven we can live in when we simply acknowledge that we got it all. We got it all. You got good friends. You hear the babies telling you their stories. You see the results of your work in the independence and growth of those around you. I had a room full of 80-year-olds today who were working out, who were all sick in their 60s. And I said, you guys are like my lab rats. I'm like a mad scientist that did an experiment. And it worked. I get to be in the heaven of Dr. Frankenstein. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. And I participated in that. So though my bank account is low, my stock in divinity is very high. You follow me, Vin? Z, you made a lot of interesting points, and you touched on some ideas that have gone through my mind. A few things you talked about, you mentioned the hell of the ego. You talked about limits. So if you have money, it's money to do something, not money for the sake of money. And when I look at the world and really what we've been taught, it's incredible that there's this underlying sense of more, and that pervades everything. I've talked about how it's the basis of economics. It's the basis of finance, that people always want more, that you're always better off with more. That's how decisions are made. That's how policy is made. We see it when we just look at people and how they operate, comparing yourself to others, thinking about getting the bigger house, the nicer car, the better vacation, whatever it is, always taking things up one step. There's that constant sense of urgency. I need to do more. I need to schedule more. I need to see if there's something more interesting going on, so I'm never really present. And until you really start looking at this, you you don't realize what a sickness it represents. And when I started doing some thinking on this and some writing on this, I realized that we've been taught to approach life exactly the wrong way. You think about money. Money is a means to an end. It enables something. It enables us to satisfy basic needs so we can do something that's meaningful. It's a tool that is supposed to serve us. Yet we turn ourselves into a slave to that money. We get the equation exactly backwards. Instead of money freeing us up to do something else, we're using all our time, our intellect, our energy to chase money. If you generalize beyond that, you mentioned the ego and you mentioned the hell of the ego. This is something that really amazes me. The ego, similar to money in a way, it's there to protect us. It gives us a sense of self. It makes sure that we eat. It makes sure that we've got shelter. It'll tell us to take a look at our environment, protect ourselves, look out for threats, make sure no one's attacking us. But again, it's a means to an end. It's kind of like an alarm system in my mind that goes off. It's constant alerts, constant. It's a constant set of pings that reminds us to pay attention to our environment, 
make sure that we're okay. But if we are okay, great. We can do something better. As you say, we can work on ourselves. We can take our talents, use that to help others, watch them grow. We can spend time with family. Each of us might have different definitions of what that is. But the point is the ego keeps us safe, keeps us alive, and that frees us to do something that's more meaningful, to actually live. Yet there again, we've got the equation backwards. We become a slave to the ego. So instead of the ego serving us, we serve it. We're always looking for validation. We're looking for more money, more status, more approval, more whatever. And to me, it's tragic because instead of living, it's just bizarre to me. We've got the whole thing reversed. Instead of using the ego to serve us, we turn around and we become captive and we're never able to live our lives and experience just what it means to feel alive, to feel content. So that is something I feel like we somehow have to shift our perspective around this and whether it's taking a look at the ego or it's taking a look at limits. It reminds me of a discussion we had a while ago. This might have been on one of our earlier podcasts, a year, year and a, well, at this point, it might have even been two years that we talked about this. We talked about this phrase, what is the purpose of? What are we doing this for? And I believe it's important to know what it means to live. What are those metrics for us? And mine might be different than yours. But if we have that clear standard, we can think about how to use our resources to enable life and to find that peace, that contentment, that heaven that we're talking about. I look at it in different ways. Uh, some of the way I think about it overlaps a lot with what you're saying. It's friends, family, loved ones, people you care about. It's being able to take whatever your talent is, your passion, your ability, use that to have some impact beyond yourself. Uh, there's a physical aspect to it. So just being able to express yourself physically uh, to, to work out, uh, to shout, scream if you need to do that, to dance, to move. That's such a critical part of life. To me, it's really a list of four or five things. And over time, even that list can be condensed. If I want to condense that list, I can get down to something as simple as, I just want to feel alive. I want to feel vibrant. I want to wake up and just feel. We go through life sometimes, and when you're in that constant chase, that constant sense of urgency, you're crushed by anxiety, your mind isn't in the here and now, you feel numb. You don't feel anything. And it's like, I would rather feel pain, frustration, whatever it is, but but something, something to remind me that I'm alive. Those are yardsticks that I have that I can use to make sure that I'm on the right track. And if I'm not checking those off, I can change what I'm doing. I can reorganize my life to make sure that I'm doing the things that give me meaning and that give me satisfaction. But for me, as I'm talking about the Z, it seems like that foundation is critically important because if we don't have a sense of why we're here and what life is about, we default to what everyone else is doing. It's kind of like that story of the person who's looking for a ring that they lost and a stranger comes up to them and says, can I help you? And they say, yes, I lost a ring. And they're looking under a street lamp. 
And the stranger says, well, where did you lose the ring? And the person says, oh, I lost it over there in the dark. And the response is, well, why are you looking over here? Well, I can see over here. This is where the light is. To me, that's how we live. If we don't have standards for what's important to us, what gives us satisfaction, we just grab whatever is convenient. And those things that are convenient are things that everyone else does. It's things that are easy to measure and quantify, uh, like what's your title at whatever company you work at, how many influence or how many likes do you have, or how many social media friends do you have, how much money do you have. These are things that we can assign numbers to, even if they're meaningless. So we measure for the sake of measuring because we don't know any better. What's your perspective on that? Well, Vin, it's an important uh, question that you present. And I'll just share with you my, my view on that is that we talked before about the endless pursuit of the endless pursuit. That you, 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 people speak in problem. No matter what happens, there's one more problem. Again, this is fool's folly. They're never happy. Not even happy, but the Vedas say the greatest type of happiness is contentment. Just be okay. And that's a beautiful place to be. But to be okay, one must have divine intelligence. That What's meant by that is every day you're in the middle, you realize you're in the middle of life and death. You're walking that fragile bridge between life and death. And for those people who have been insulated and isolated from that reality, they have a greater challenge to find contentment. For myself, death has always been a companion, mostly unwanted companion in my life. So life has always been my desired friend. And the simple things in life, simple, the breath, the presence, the gaze, the handshake, the embrace, the joke, the teasing, the banter, the shared hopes. Regrettably, because we are blinded by materialism and we're deluded by the idea that this is forever, it's very difficult for people to truly embrace the heaven of the moment. And I hope that gives us some things to think about in that as we the opt-outs observe the goings-on of the world, why is there so much madness, mental health issues? As a practitioner, as one with a life practice, you study the environment. You become a physicist of the human phenomena. And you hear more and more people who are just unhappy no matter what. Or they're very fragile and they believe that their happiness, their comfort, their peace of mind is based on the disturbing of others. 
forcing others to comply with their view, their look, their likes, their dislikes, their opinions. By digital inference, people react not to what is real, but what is unreal, to the phantoms of, of, of the internet, the faceless goons, the bots. And more and more, that's becoming normal. Did you hear about this? Did you react to this? You know, it was not real. It was a bot. It had nothing to do with my life. Absolutely nothing. If we value our moment in heaven, valued enough to protect it, be a master of your own mind, as the Buddha says, and go back to very basic, primordial questions. Are you hungry? Yes or no? Are you safe? Yes or no? Are you loved? Yes or no? Are you loving? Yes or no? Are you truly, are you rich or are you wealthy? When you're rich, you can go look in the bank and say, I'm rich. When you're wealthy, everybody around you has benefited from your company. You make 10 million, everybody else is doing well. Everybody you know is doing well. None of the people you know are suffering material hardship. That's a wealthy man. Did you take care of your spiritual leaders? The people that have sacrificed their time and their hedonistic experiences in life to elevate their consciousness to make your life easier. That's why people pay money to churches and temples to keep them going because they find a place that gives them their moral compass and reference. I always share the story of one of the most shining moments in my life was when I became a, a young man. I was about 26 or 27 years old and I had come into a good career as an engineer shortly after I left the military. And I got a few really big checks, biggest checks at the time I'd ever seen. And I didn't need anything. I had a nice place to live. I didn't need anything. I had the same routine I had had all my life. Go work, train, hang out with friends, and nothing different. All of a sudden, I just had a lot of money. And I always had a sense that I was walking between life and death anyway. So I didn't really think a lot about investments in the future and things. I never thought I would live past 30. So I thought about what I would do if I had enough. And I overheard my teacher saying that he needed a new car and his car was giving, I used to always work on his car. And the studio was in disrepair. And I went to him and I gave him more than half of my bonus pay. And he looked at me and said, what is this for? I said, I owe you. He said, no, you don't owe me anything. I can't take this. I said, sir, it's just extra stuff. What can I do? He says, well, whatever you want to do with it. So we fixed up the school and fixed his car, paid off the bills. And that momentum 
has lasted almost 45 years. About 40 years, I should say, it lasted. Let me get my numbers right. About 40 years. Nearly 40 years it's shown benefit. Nearly 40 years. Wow. Shit, I'm old. But it lasted a long time. Maybe 35 years. I'm dating myself. Let me let me lie. Let's say it's 15 years. Let's go. Because I don't... Good God, I realize how old I am. Okay. So let me clear that, that time warp up. But it lasted many decades. Let's put it that way. And the momentum of abundance carried us from an indebted school to a, a flourishing school that he could retire from without really stressing out. And hopefully that extended his life a bit longer just to take some weight off so he could share with hundreds, if not thousands of others. So I got to be the richest poor man you'll ever meet. Yeah. I hope that answers your question, Vin. I just got into this space. Yeah, it answers it in a standard Z way. Where we start at A and we end up at Z, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, but it's it is a beautiful story. It's an interesting contrast because most people place so much value on the accumulation of money that to part with it is very difficult. There's usually an aspect of control, at least from what I've seen in the business world that if you part with the money, you expect something in exchange or you expect some kind of subservience. Uh, but it's a different mentality. I think it's a lot more freeing to be able to do what you're describing. Just do know what you need, know what you can spare, and focus on the things that are important to you. In a sense, with no expectation of personal enrichment, no expectation of ego gratification. You just do what you have to do. You give back. You keep the system going. That mentality to me makes a lot of sense. I will ask you this. We've been talking about having a certain set of priorities, knowing limits, organizing your life so that money is a means to an end, so that the ego is a means to an end, so that you can find that peace, that quiet, just that satisfaction of being in your day-to-day. Now, let's take a look at a lot of people in this world and just the lifestyle that we lead. A lot of us are in cities. We're plugged into technology. We're working jobs that maybe we don't love, but we work them because to a certain extent we have to. Maybe you could say you don't really have to do anything, but there's a benefit in that you get the paycheck, you put food on the table, you've got family obligations, you take care of the family. Now, let's say that we're not living that life. We're not in that heaven-on-earth position, and we're feeling anxious, we're feeling stressed, but we also feel trapped. Uh, We feel trapped. Maybe our mind is just all over the place, uh, given the cell phone, given what's happening with our career, if we're in business, maybe what's happening with the financial markets, we have to go in and we don't like working as hard as we do, but we work in groups where that's the norm, or we work for individuals or our boss is just forcing us to stay late. 
and imposing a lot of deadlines. So we feel a tremendous amount of stress. Maybe we'd be happy stepping back, but we've got the family obligations. We've got others. It's not just us. Uh, We've got a system of people. Maybe there's a broader family that we support. There could be extended family. Maybe there are different views about what's important, which we have to navigate. So even though at an individual level, you might say, okay, certain things are important to me. These are my limits. There might be other people who are part of your system who've got different views. So there's some back and forth. What do we do? I mean, what's the practical advice you have, Z, if we find ourselves in that position where we think, yeah, something's wrong. I don't have the peace of mind. I'm self-aware enough to know that I'm not going to be here forever. I better start living my damn life right now. I'm not going to have a second chance. But at the same time, I don't know where to go. I don't know how to extricate myself from this situation. What's the solution? The solution is understand that life is the Titanic. It's sinking rapidly. Just take what you need, get on a lifeboat, and get the hell out of there. Search for, for search for a new beginning. Make it through the night. Find a new day. And I hope you understand what I'm saying by that. So when I, I think about when we're lost, because why are we lost? Because the ego has blinded us. You talked about the idea of control. And that's one of the things that the, the gun for example, is the great equalizer. There's an old saying that said, God made men equal and Winchester made sure of that, the Winchester rifle. And as we can see, you give a person a gun and they have power, their ego ravages them. It takes them to the hellscape of the ego. They mistreat people. They speak to people in ways they would never normally speak to people. Money is also a gun. A gun can save your life or it can do mass destruction. So when you find yourself in that position, look around at the people you're around. Do like what the martial artists do, the great ones. The other day I was talking to my mentor, Kumasi, and my very dear friend who I admire very much, who's like um, pretty much a brother to me, as I mean, Joselito Santos, who runs Brazil, Brazil. Great capoeirista. I talked about the story when I met him. And I found him to be one of the most phenomenal martial artists and human beings I had ever met. And as I was telling his story, my mentor mentioned, have you ever showed him what you can do? You can do weird stuff, see? I've seen you do stuff just like that. And I never thought about what I could do because I've always put myself in the company of people who were abundant in whatever they did, be it knowledge, be it skill. And by being in that company of abundance, I became wealthy with skill, wealthy with ability. But because I compared myself to those who are around, my ego never ran amok. It was always humbled because our standards were what they were. Everybody was good at what they did. And if people who weren't as good hung around us, they became good. So everybody we knew was rich with knowledge, with skill, with information. So for those of us who are wondering what to do, make sure that everyone you know and everyone you love is nurtured by your company. Throw away the idea of controlling others. I've heard it from good people. It's pretty weird. It's a very um, bitter seed to swallow to hear people that you have goodwill towards 
allow their ego to speak ahead of them. One of our clients that passed away, Malcolm, I remember one time him saying, well, you don't know how to deal with money, Z, so I'm going to create a financial program that I'm going to do that. I said, what do you mean I don't know how to deal with money? Well, you don't kind of control people. You, you can have much more power over people if you put more demands on them getting money. I said, really? I, I don't want to control anybody, though. He said, yeah, that's your problem. You'll never be rich. I said, no, buddy, I'm rich. And sad enough, he's dead. I'm still here. And he left his mother alone with a quarter of a billion dollars in a bank account that's going through a trust. I would say to all of you wondering, make everybody around you rich in knowledge. If you can take the weight or burden off a friend, a family member, acquaintance, or someone you admire, then do it. However that is. Free yourself like you're on the Titanic. One of my favorite movies is Lifeboat. I always talk about Lifeboat. I have certain movies I really like. I like The Bad Seed, Alfred Hitchcock. But Lifeboat, these people are on a Marlena Dietrich, an old actress, they're on a lifeboat and they have to throw away all the things they thought were important and valuable and gave them power and control over others in order to survive on a lifeboat. What will you give away to make it through the day. That was what they were true. And don't think you won't be faced with that. You can insulate yourself from life, but what good is your money then when you can't even go around people? Again, money can be a very good thing. It can be a wonderful tool, but it isn't human. It's an agreed upon idea of worth or value like gold or diamonds which have no value if you're hungry and far away from a trading post if you're cold and you need warmth it's going to come down to your character the real commerce of being a human being those are my thoughts Finn. The point you're making, Z, is important because we deceive ourselves sometimes. I've seen this. There are plenty of examples of people who have a lot of money who feel like they're very generous and they're always taking people out. They're paying for dinners, for events, throwing lavish parties, which is all great. Again, nothing against that. But if you look at the reason that they're doing it, it goes back to validation. They want to either validation or control. They want to be at the center. They want the acclaim. They want people talking about them. And it leads to strange relationships. And I've seen it lead to resentment where you have someone who feels like they end up with no friends. I mean, maybe it's the same Example is Malcolm. It's like, oh, what happened? I thought all these people loved me. Well, no, uh, they were around because you spent money on them. And they resented the fact that you knew uh, that you had more and that you expected something from them in return that 
you had to extract a pound of flesh in some way. So if you're exchanging money, then they become part of a performance, and they're part of your scene, they're actors in your play. Uh, it leads to these weird relationships. Uh, so we're getting a little bit off topic, but I do think it's an important point, and it's something that we should check. It does fit into this broader theme of just knowing what the limits are. Uh, money is one of these strange things because it's so ingrained in us as something to chase, as something to value. There's a certain fear around it. There's a fear of destitution. Maybe it's related to a fear of death. If I don't have money, I won't be able to survive. Uh, there's a sense that you need a safety net. It becomes difficult to part with money. People become stressed about money. They fight about money. Um, so practically, it is a tool. I mean, it's, it's something I, I look at it as an exchange of energy. Uh, it represents productivity. You do something in exchange, you get money, and you have a claim on someone else's productivity, uh, which is fine. It facilitates commerce. But when we start treating it as more than that, and again, we start treating it as an end in itself, that's when we screw ourselves up. And that's when we screw up our relationships. And we get back to that point that I was talking about where we're confused. We're searching for something that inherently doesn't have value. It's a means to an end. So we're taking that money and we're doing it at the expense of relationships. We're throwing away the relationships or distorting the relationships. And that's what actually has value. That's what gives us value in the day-to-day, the moment-to-moment. Ultimately, that's what life is. It's a set of experiences that we have. And if we're not finding satisfaction through the relationships, through the creative expression, through the mentoring, through the personal development, the money makes no difference. The accolades make no difference. I think about that point you made about the influencers, which is still going through my head. I thought that was so powerful that these people are desperate for accolades and validation because they know that they contribute nothing. (laughs) So solution number one is you can fake it, as they do, and then that leads to mental problems and it leads to suicide or it leads to depression. Or you can focus on giving something valuable to other people or being something intrinsically valuable yourself. So it's, it's basic principles uh, that we're talking about, but I, I do believe it's so easy to lose sight of what's important and lose sight of this heaven on earth as we're calling it, just because habits are deeply ingrained. And this is what we're taught from a young age. This is what everyone around us pursues. This is what we see in the media. So maybe, Z, the place to end is to opt out, as we often talk about. We need to have that dispassionate mentality. We need to look at ourselves and really ask, what is important to us? What do we care about? What is the purpose of this money or the purpose of whatever I'm doing? It's a means to an end. I need to provide for my family. I need some basic security so that I feel safe enough to live the life I want to lead. But I have to know where that ends, and I have to know that I can take whatever time and energy I have and devote it to things that I care about. So just something for our audience to keep in mind, maintain that perspective, ask yourself what you care about, and if you have that clarity, it becomes easier to live that way and arrange your life in a way that promotes, really promotes life uh, instead of 
promoting this urgency and this empty sense of always wanting something more. And Vin, I would kind of wrap this up and I would ask each of our opt-outs and folks that listen to our podcast, our family out there, to meditate for a moment. Just meditate with me for a moment. Breathe into your heart and visualize a town, a place called heaven that you live in. Picture all the people that you know, that you adore, admire, that love you. And in that town of heaven, what would it look like? What would be going on there? What would be the general state of the people in heaven? Walk around that town. Go through your normal routine in that beautiful place. Wake up in the morning rested and begin your daily rituals in heaven. And as you get a clearer picture of what heaven is like, Imagine you're the mayor of heaven and you walk down to the local market or you go to the local technician, mechanic. You go see the businessman, the produce person. You go see the school teacher. They're all the people you know, you admire and you love. What would you hope their general state of being would be? And when you see that clearly, come back out of that meditation and do your part. Do your part. Be civic-minded in your personal heaven. Start simple with yourself. Then that person close to you. Will you touch their hand? Will you look at them and say, you're great? Thanks for putting up with me. They smile and thank you back. You go out, you encounter your neighbor. Maybe they need a helping hand and you do it. They smile, move on. Meditate on what heaven would be to you. Somebody that's going through some health issues, you can help them. Stop by the health food store. Check in on them when they go see their caregiver. You see someone encountering a hardship, will you comfort them? Ask yourself, what is your heaven like? Let us do that. All right. Meditate on heaven. Thank you, Z. And we'll talk to everyone next week. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.